Sometimes you might feel trapped between the right and the left. No one listens when you say taxation is theft. But there's a place where people know harsh government brings tears. So grab some blue and Adrena Chrome. Let's make the timeline weird. Friends against government. Friends against government. Ah. They're your friends. Your very best friends. Play cool. Play cool. We're very cool. Um, so yeah, I really liked the book. I thought it was great. Knowing that it's 266 pages must make you feel pretty, uh, large down in the uh, pants region, perhaps. Well, thank you. That makes me feel large. Nah, but... there you go. Enlarging, <laughs> like larger than you were two minutes ago, there, or so you, funny you feel, you feel large to me. I'll say that. Wow. That's yeah. a comp. That's a compliment. And yeah. that's For a what's really important. large guy. I believe yeah. I called Carr yeah. on the last episode the only guy who could moose me, so that's a pretty big compliment. <laughs> I'm I'm particularly engorged right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, book. you always are. well. Yeah, you better you better cool it before you have to drop off the uh, the air. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, let me do. You it wanted again. to make some no, changes. You wanted to make some changes send in the bird, and then bird yeah. has to send it to me. Maybe put it. Give me some editing. Cha- let yeah, me edit it. <laughs> Let me get re-up. in that book. <laughs> give me your Amazon. Give me your Amazon credentials, and I'll just I'll yeah. just re-upload it. Okay. I'll throw I'll throw some extra Aaron, lines you wanna, in the book. You want a copy so you can read along? Yeah, sure. That's what we're doing, right? We're reading every single yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, well, <laughs> chapter one. Well, the here's the thing. Have you? And before we get into it too much, have you considered doing an audio book? Because this is and and one of my favorite things about the book is it's a first person perspective, which I thought was really cool. So you could totally do an audiobook. I would love to. Yeah, I probably will. We could do an audiobook. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> I could be Listen, you so you're so spoiler alert. He was a cop, guys. He was, was a cop. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's do, got plenty of uh, plenty of ad-lib like not typical. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. no and, and I actually I actually wrote in my notes that was something that was Oh god, Aaron's going into the trains. <laughs> The, yeah, that's the overpass. Oh yeah, I, uh, I I actually wrote in my notes something about that car. We'll get to that in a bit. Okay. But yeah, so so he was a cop. Now he's everybody's favorite detective. I don't know what Pat. <laughs> I smell. Well, let's intro. Let's intro this thing. Let's intro this thing because this is a huge accomplishment. So Pat, you just published a, a book. Uh, up it's up on Amazon. I downloaded it from Kindle, I think, or Amazon Kindle. Um, and is it, it's probably in some other sources, but, uh, so why don't you take it away? Why don't you intro your book? Sure. I'll do an intro. So I, about me, if you don't know, I spent about 10 years working for the government in military and law enforcement capacities. I learned a lot of really cool shit. I saw a lot of huge gaping holes in their system, uh, mainly security. I've been fascinated with security since I was a kid, since I was, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And my dad taught me how to break out of handcuffs. I thought, oh, interesting. He was a cop for 30 years. So that one gem, which was, hey, dad, why why do cops need to know how to break out of handcuffs? And he said, well, if you know how to break out of these restraints, you would know what to look for to prevent that. So that gem of kind of seeing both sides of things stuck with me forever. 
So hmm. for the last three years, I've been writing a book and it has been a long road, but we're done. It's out there. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Three years, Pat? Yeah, it's been... Three years, is that right? Well, so when you ask how long did it take, there's like a number of answers. There's idea to publishing, and then there's idea to rough draft being completed, and there's sure. rough draft to publish. So depending on which one, yeah, it's been a couple of years in the making. Sheesh, man. As somebody who is attempting to embark on writing a book, that is one of those things you hear and you go, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was surprising. I didn't know there's different types of editing. I'm, I'm brand new to that. And so I was like, okay, I'll send it to the editor. They'll send it back. It'll be fixed. And then we publish. <laughs> it's just not yeah, the case. Is, I was going to say there would be good editing and then the kind of editing that we get away with on this program. <laughs> so I, for instance, I had to take, they took out almost all of my sex references and sex jokes and I had to put almost all of them back in. I was, no. yeah, I was, because they're still in there. Yeah, some of them are still in there. Almost all of them yeah. are still in there. Uh, your, your best one is in there, if I may. Your, okay. your most memorable, your most <laughs> memorable. Did you charge your way through this book, Bert? I read the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I was really Oh, my God. Yeah, I read it in one day. He sent it to me, and I read it in one day because I read the first chapter, Okay. and I was like, oh, my God, it's written in Pat's perspective, and I couldn't get away from it because I just heard his <laughs> voice. I was, it was just, you know what I mean? I was just like listening to him be like, so here's one story of this crazy shit that happened. Yeah, so I read the whole thing. I got through it. Oh, the Dude, title. Golly. I guess people might want to know that. Yes. It's by Pat Watson. That's me. It's called, the title is Tactical Lockpicking. The subtitle is A Systemized Approach for Responding to Locked Obstacles During Emergencies. It's a long-ass title, but really just... I like it, though. At UncensoredTactical, UncensoredTactical.com. So it's, here's, the first, here's the first funny part. If you go to the copyright page, it says, you cannot use any of this information without specific permission from me, right? <laughs> yes. And then if you go to the first chapter, it says, yeah, you can just use this however you want. <laughs> so there you go. Love you it. have your permission. Love there it. you go. Love it. So pick up pick up the book and use it as you please. So um, if I may, to get you going. Yeah, let's get moving. Uh, because the first chapter is how to use this book. So I guess my question is to you, for all the listeners who are, would be interested in buying this, what is your experience in the field? How would you put the book together? And uh, how, why should people believe what you say specifically uh, uh, on how to use this book in particular? Sure. Uh, that's a lot of questions to answer in one answer, but let me take a stab at it. Um, specifically what I teach, which is different than a lot of other people. And what I wrote about, which is different than a lot of other people is imagine going to like a auto mechanic school and they go, okay, day one, we're going to teach you how to change the brake pads and then you're done lesson over. And they go, okay, day two, we're going to teach you how to rotate the tires and then you're done. Uh, day three, here's how you change the spark plug. Okay, you graduated. Hooray. And now on your first day on the job, a car gets towed into the shop and the car won't start. Well, you know how to change the brake pads. You know how to change the spark plug. You know how to rotate the tires. But why do you do which one? And how do right. you start troubleshooting right. your approach to fixing the car? So the diagnosis is what I focus on. You can go. There's not a lot of people that teach lockpicking uh, professionally in, in courses like this. And of all the people that do teach it that I've experienced or heard about or had other students call me after they attend their courses, uh, I really focus on the target assessment or the what you would call it, like diagnosing the problem and solving the problem. So I add in cool. a lot of blocks in my curriculum on, yes, you have this technique. Yeah, you have another one. And you even have another option. Well, how do we pick one? How do you move forward? How do you do the, the most effective and efficient entry possible? And the cool thing is it's called tactical 
but that does not necessarily mean you're on a SWAT team and you got a battering ram and you run up to the front door and you go, oh, no, wait, I got my lock picks. It probably but, will, though, for the, the host of this <laughs> podcast. That, that's probably the most likely scenario for us. The tactical I'm part would mean... I will moose that door. Yeah, Thank we you. you know we operate as a team. And we have, hopefully, at least someone with a little bit of humor. I'm right here. Okay, <laughs> That's my job, guys. I, I yell call. in the background. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the tactical part is spe- specifically for solving problems and having multiple choices and making a tactful decision when you're, the decisions that you make will have consequences. So it doesn't necessarily mean there's a hostage on the other side of the door. It means there is some type of emergency and the way that you proceed will have consequences. So you should form your attack with a specific type of tactic in mind. That's what it means. That's a, that's just the best approach to education in general is like, like man, how yeah, many, how many it. years, how how many years do you, you spend in high school and college just learning uh, a random shit with no ability to apply it to anything? It, yes. You know, just fucking infuriating. Oh, in case you guys were wondering, I'm doing that larceny whiskey that uh, Pete talked about on one of your recent shows. Oh, nice. Oh yeah. Oh, nice. How go. is it? Oh, it's spreading much better than the last crap I had. Really? What was the last crap? I was milking a Buffalo Trace, I think. Oh, Buffalo was, Trace is not good. It was, uh, not I, good. I was happy to be done with that bottle. Yeah, that is not good stuff. I Who, drink that. I'm fine with it. Pat, Pat, question. Who is the target audience? It is specifically two groups that both fall in first place. It would be first responders uh, that routinely go out to emergencies to try and help people and solve problems. It's also the prepared citizen, whether you want to call it a prepper or a modern survivalist uh, okay. or just a security-minded civilian, whatever. So it's just, it's those two groups mainly. Mm-hmm. But fuck, how many people do you know have ever been locked out of somewhere? Yeah, ever. yeah I, I, you know what's so funny is just the other day I got locked out of the house and I was like, God damn it, I wish I got that kit <laughs> that you, you were going to send. I know, I should have, I should have. Yeah, that would have been great. Would you say that there's an arms race between like locksmithing and lock pit picking or is, yes. is locksmithing a pretty a very slow and polite arms race? So I'll give you one right right now. That's hopefully some value to the audience that you can use in your in your real life. So there's a lock call. You can Google it if you want. It's really, really common. It's a brass square outline body. It's got a silver shackle on it. And if you look at the bottom of the lock, there's four wheels that you can spin. It's just a four digit dial combination lock. Oh, yep. Mm. You can, and you probably saw the pictures, Bird. So you can take a, a hair beret, like the little snap clips that they're like kind of arced. Oh, and when yeah. you push on them, they kind of pop open. Mm-hmm. You could take one of those. You can fold it in half, rip it in half. You can take that new tool that you just made from your environment, shove it into the bottom of that lock, push down on it, and the lock pops right open. Really? So that's called the Master 175 is the model number or the Master, master Lock 175. Master. So you can Google it or you can check out the book. I sent you a freaking copy. I think. <laughs> Except Aaron, sorry, I can still send that to you, Aaron. Yeah, I, I might actually have the most use case for it because I'm in yeah, I was gonna know, say, yeah. facilities maintenance. So uh, Master knew about that problem and they tried to put in a a remedy to stop that from happening. So they changed their design a little bit. They re- released a newer upgraded model. And now you can still do that same attack on the lock. So they almost <laughs> solved it. Oh, wow. They made it a little <laughs> more know. difficult. They changed the tolerances. They put in, uh, I think it's a some sort of slight guard in there to guard against that, but you can still, if you're delicate and you use the right amount of force at the right angle, man, you can still get in there and get that thing to 
pop. Oh, okay. So the, the the hair thing because it has four prongs, you can slip them slip them into each one of those digits. Is that is that the deal? Uh, c- no, kind of. No. <laughs> no, it's just it's just a take a thin a thin metal tool and you shove it in the bottom, and there's a a really simple technique that you just push one direction and it pops open. Okay. This brings me to the, the, the way that you organized the book was through like these case studies, mm-hmm. these, these first person case studies of it's you and you were explaining like, all right, this is an event that happened. My first question is just for me, are all of those pictures from the actual event that inspired the case study? No, no. Okay. So, some are, some are not. Okay. I just curious about that. And then second of all, the thing that really, I could not wrap my head around and I wanted to maybe do some oh, particulars God. with you. Some flash fire stuff was okay. the toolkits. <laughs> yeah. First of all, explain to me and I'll get to all of them. What is a first line? What is your first yeah. line of gear? What first is line? that? That doesn't come from me. That's from old, like old army stuff. So your first line gear is ba- basically the shit you have in your pockets. And if you have a normal belt on and you normally keep pouches on your belt, it's like your pockets and your belt. And like, that's it the stuff that's permanently on your body when you're not wearing armor and you don't have a backpack, like just standing there in your normal outfit. First line gear. And people also okay, call that, it everyday carry. Oh, okay. That, okay. So now that, that, that connects that. So now second line gear was the other one. That was where I was like, well, long story short, that's your go bag. So a small bag that you can grab with a bunch of other shit that you can't, that you don't routinely carry in your pockets. Where do you keep the, the, the THC vaporizer? pen in the is that in the first line or in the second line both okay yeah, you both. give a backup see pat yeah, you're, you're so smart you don't want to be coming you don't want to be coming down in the middle of a lockpick. <laughs> you know how those batteries were you know yeah, they yeah. die out so quickly a serious so, supply okay. of adderall in your face pen. and then and then here's what i really liked you you were very honest pat because at one point in the book you go sometimes your first and your second line gear won't work <laughs> And so mm-hmm. you need your third line gear. And I was actually laughing out loud when I saw the oh, sledgehammer. God. And I was yeah. like, okay, so this is ultimately, if it doesn't work, we're still going to blow that shit down. Yeah, which, of course. Which is basically what we were suggesting to do in the first place. And so my first question is, <laughs> why do we want to not just always destroy the door? Because we're a, great- we're a very powerful moose man and we want to destroy of the course. door. And yeah. then I'll take you into my second question from that. Sure. I was just, uh, I had a student this morning I was just teaching and he, we had to explain the same thing. I said, uh, he was a tactical dude and he was a former Marine and we're sitting there talking about guns and we're shooting and we took a little break and I took out my lock picks and some padlocks. And I was like, yes, there are certainly times you should use a bypass or a pat, you know, like a lock pick tool on a door. And he, I showed him and he had never done any of it. And I slipped the door open almost immediately. And he said, oh shit. And he said, that's great. And I said, yeah, it's good. Sometimes it's not good. Other times. I said, a lot of people in our, our world or the former world that we were in, I said, you ride around with a freaking battering ram in your trunk. And a lot of people, when I tell them about lockpicking, they go, I don't need a freaking lockpick. I got a size 12 boot. I kick through any door. I'm like, well, that's this show. Are you going right, to kick so your way so into a You're talking door? to those people right now. So just be gentle. With <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I will not. So here, here's a great example. Your kid is throwing a temper tantrum so they lock themselves in their room. Could you kick the door in? Well, yeah, of course you probably could. It's probably a cheap sure. door with a cheap lock and a cheap... Right. You know, sure, kick it right through. You, you could. Should but you, there's though? a chance. But there's a chance that the kid is not standing right behind the door and you don't get him with that kick. And so then you're going to have to go or to your you second could give line. Him, 
yeah. serious mental trauma <laughs> from right. yeah. seeing something like that. You could turn him into a. Uh... <laughs> Never mind. Uh, maybe perhaps a homeless guy that lives under. Maybe, uh... yeah, perhaps. Uh... So serious. Not... Yeah. Right. Growing not... up, I often got doors kicked in. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> explains a lot. Yeah. So just because yes. you could kick in a door doesn't mean you should. Right. And especially if you're doing it for yourself or a loved one, or like if if you're at work, right? And the boss goes, "Oh man, we're supposed to do this thing, and we're also downsizing next month, and I really need to get into this room, and I just locked myself out." You might not want to go. I got it. Boom! And kick the door open. You might want to go. Mm-hmm. Hey, boss, I got you covered. Sure. And that also makes you a valuable human. This is a really cool skill set that you can help out a lot of people, and you can build that community, and you can build relationships, and it really brings value to you to to be a useful human to know these kind of weird hacking tricks you like reading my question notes that was my next question is what is the skill set for in particular but now here's the question i was going to pivot into so like what is the difference between this locksmith this is the other thing i couldn't get my head around locksmithing breaching or the sport right so locksmithing everyone should know what that is you either have like a van or like a brick and mortar storefront building and you get to choose when you go pick you know do an entry or you get Uh, or you get to choose when you change a lock, you get to choose how you cut a key, you get to bring all your drills and hammers and and files, and you can have your big textbooks, you can have your key cutting machines, and you can respond or not respond depending on the weather and the time of day. That's locksmithing. Hmm. You have your lock sport, which is a competition-based thing where uh, mostly pin tumbler padlocks, so like the probably the lock you have on your front door, and you put it in a little vise on a stand on your desk, and you get like the picks that you want. You get them all lined up in front of you, and they hit a timer, and then you start picking it open as quick as you can, and then you you pick more and more difficult locks. That's the sport. But that mm. what I just told you is like most of the sport. That's most of the things they do is that type of setting. What I do is is different than both of those. So would you describe what you do as breaching? I, no. Okay. Well, I would call it uh, overcoming a locked obstacle. You can call it a type of breach into a building, not breach as in kinetic, energetic, like breaching, right, like because breaking. Because you use a term in the book, tactical breaching. I was wondering if that yeah, is... Yeah, that's like okay. your firefighters, your uh, your law enforcement guys, your military people. They go okay, to breacher it. school and they say, mm. they say, here's your shotgun, here's your sledgehammer, here's your battering ram, here's your pry bar. We're going to breach these doors. And like, that's, that's really your basic kit, right? You walk up to the door, you go, are we going to push it through or are we going to pull it towards us? All right, let's go. And they just rip and they do, they do their thing. There are certainly times when that's not your best option. So what I do is, is not for a professional that's going to use this skill set every single day, all day, eight hours a day to make their paycheck. If that were the case, I would say, well, you don't want three lines of gear. You want a fucking van that you can throw yeah. everything into. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So the framing is really important. And I, I try to spend a lot of time on that. The framing is you're going to add a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of tools to your loadout so that you can get through most of the locked obstacles out there. Yeah. 80, 20 per, Pareto. Yeah. Love it. So, mm-hmm. so, hope that helps. I have many questions, lots of tool questions. I liked a lot of the names of the tools. Yeah, right. Um, I like the the axe murderer. We'll get to all that. We'll get to all that. Actually, what the hell is a bump key? And and can I get one now? <laughs> you, you probably can. If you go on Google, it'll probably show up. You can have one in, on it. your doorstep by tomorrow. Let's get it it's done. A, so 
I'll explain the theory this way. Uh, you know those silver uh, metal balls that kind of hang on a string, and then you hold the one on the left, and you release it, and it hits all oh, the ones yeah. in the middle, and the one the on the far right bouncy things. Yeah, yeah that's balls. Isaac's balls. What do you call it? Uh, yeah, Isaac's balls. balls. Newton balls. <laughs> Newton balls. <laughs> Newton's ball. Yeah, Newton's balls. <laughs> those things. Yeah, uh, same thing inside a lock. Balls. Kind of. So when you're using a bump key, the key on the bottom is now one of those silver balls. And there's balls. actually there's two pins in a pin tumbler lock. There's your top pin and your bottom pin usually. So you're going to put this key in. It's going to have a, some really low ridges in it. And you're going to bang that key in really fast. Bang and those the key, ridges. key stays where it's at. Bottom pin stays where it's at. The top pins take all that energy and they move way up. And there's a line in there where if that line is free, you can spin the lock. So it sends those top pins above the line, but everything else stays below the line. So you're <laughs> using kinetic energy to go into the, into the key, into the bottom pins, and everything stays, and the top pins jump way up into the chamber. So you're really just clearing a space on a line. Yes. You, so this is hard to do on audio, but <laughs> hopefully it's With helps. your balls. Yeah. No, I mean, I like the... I think the... The use of the ball language and the yeah. things like that. It's going to appeal to our audience. A very, Good. A very visceral <laughs> image was going on in my mind. Every, all of our audience is shifting around in their seat very <laughs> I hope, aggressively. I hope they're, at work. <laughs> they're in the car with their son, who's just slightly old enough to be listening to this <laughs> podcast. And, he, and, and I know you're now looking over at him and going, don't mm. listen to what they're saying about balls and things like that. But of course, you know. So what was your favorite sex joke in the book? Uh, obviously, the end of the book was well when you when you concluded and you talk about how your sister has lots of noisy orgasms. Can you explain that? I can't. Nope. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. So you can't explain that. So let's leave that because it is technically the most important part of the book. Yeah. It is actually his whole methodology. Order the book so you can find out about his sister. And how she makes really noisy orgasms. They're going to be reading through the book because you don't actually get to it until about halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like, where's the orgasms? I, re- I wanted orgasm orgasms. In this. Just, just <laughs> feverishly flipping through the pages. <laughs> nope, that's not it. Next page, next page. So anyway, you it's it, I'm not going to explain what it is, obviously. It's core, but it it's it's part of your methodology. And, and in a way, you were correct because I remember it. I can't remember what it stands for, so okay. I'm only really halfway there. I only really remember that a, visceral image. It's a good start. <laughs> it is, sure. Um, credit cards. Here's the thing. One time before, when I was locked out, actually, this was recently. <clears throat> so I, I, I leave the house with my dog, who's overweight and old. It's how it is, you know? And we're outside, and it's like 97 degrees outside. And I get locked out because it's one of those, you know, you close it from the inside behind you. If you don't have your keys on you, you're done. So all I had on me was my wallet. And man, Pat, I went through two credit cards, really went through two credit cards trying to hack at this door to mm-hmm. get the door open. And I and I li- ripped a credit card in half doing it, which mm-hmm. is incredible because I didn't know that could happen with plastic. Uh, and then the other one was so damaged that the strip was actually coming off, like it was falling off of the thing. So the question is, are credit cards useful <laughs> at all? And kind was of. I doing it wrong? And oh, let me good. give, so a, I'm just doing let me give a real, uh, I like giving the user, uh, the listeners real usable value. So warning, if you're locked out somewhere 
And if you're going to use one of the credit cards in your wallet to uh, get into your house or your door, uh, make sure you use a shitty one that you don't mind replacing because that's going to get all tore up. There's a good chance it'll get all tore up. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) For real. uh, But if you do travel a lot, hotel room keys are great to keep spares of to use for this. Uh, old, Old gift cards. Everyone gets gift cards every year for their birthday and holidays and shit. Keep them when you're done with them. Don't throw them away. And then keep one spare one in your wallet that you don't mind getting tore up that you can use for an entry if you need to. I guess I was just doing it wrong. So there is actually a way that it works. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I was getting very much like into the moose mode where I was just going to kick that son of a bitch down, but I didn't. Yeah, you got to calm down the the inner moose sometimes. Spray him down. That moose comes up, man. Keep him cool. That moose moose starts barking, man. Yeah. For my own professional curiosity, do you get into um, any of like the newer mag locks with the card access systems? I personally don't do a lot on the card access systems right now. I'm I'm a student in that. I'm learning how to copy and bypass and do all that stuff. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I'm not an authority on the digital side of things. Yeah, because I can tell you right now, just from being in the property management industry, that that's that's the way things are going now. Not so much the the traditional tumbler locks, yeah. but um, card access with mag locks. Well, I, I promise that information is out there if you want to learn how to access those oh, yeah. a little better. Mm. Book two. Mm. <laughs> mag lock you know destroyer. What? It's fucking it's funny you say that. Book two is already in the process of Oh God. Doing oh, the yeah? outline. oh, okay. All right, man. <laughs> how do you just... how do you how do you decide to write a book uh... and then actually decide to write another book? That's like the most big the, the biggest question in my mind. Like after going through that beating once, how do you do it to again? To be honest, the second one I think is gonna be much easier because there probably won't be any pictures. The second book is probably at this point it's probably gonna be on bureaucracy, which I know a little okay. bit about. Oh, yeah. um, well, oh, well. Okay. And to be honest, it's going to be easy. It's going to be as easy as this one was mentally. So this one, I didn't have to like think of an idea and go learn it and go figure it out and write it down. This one, all of this book was in my head. I just had to get mm. it onto the paper. Oh, mm-hmm. I like which was, this. This is, which was nice. This is good. This is The like bureaucracy one is written already in my brain. Oh. I just oh. got to put it onto the computer. Yeah, you got to decode. Right. Yeah, but you got to get the right permits first before you do that, right? Course, of course. Yeah. Yes, file them in triplicate. Yeah. Send them away. Wait for stamp, them to get stamp, sent stamp. back. Approved, mm-hmm. denied, stamped. Yeah, of course. No. What if it's like my keys and it says duplication not allowed? Do you just stop? <laughs> Nobody <laughs> cares about that. Yeah. Are you no. saying to Are you saying to go against those rules and regulations, Pat? Would you suggest something like that? So listen to this. So you'll like this. There's a uh, There's an elevator key. It's It's not the. It's one of the most common. Uh, key signatures or key cuts or key bidding, whatever you want to call it, the shape of the key, um, that if you, in most states in the union, wow, people don't say that much. People uh, don't say that. We say it much. here. We, I like it. We say it on this podcast. Yeah, it goes. Oh, it goes. Yeah. It goes. Yeah. Most of the Yeehaw. states in the federation will, if you have that key in your possession and it is cut to the right depths, like the right bidding or the right shape, it is a, I don't know if it's a misdemeanor or a felony, but it is a crime and oh. it's uh, arrestable. If you have access what? to the elevator key and you are not someone who regularly does maintenance or access on elevator shafts. Wow. I like that. Oh. So you could <laughs> Right. You know so you... what else is a felony? Pirating books. You know, just don't get caught. Don't yeah, get especially caught. copyrighted books. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that would be bad to do, wouldn't it, if somebody did that? That would be bad. God, what a fucking joke this country, this fucking world. 
<laughs> it you're, sucks, dude. So, so you're doing this. a book on, on bureaucracy, yeah, right? I love it. So you're hanging out with your buddy, who's an eleva- yeah. elevator maintenance repair guy, and you work in the building, and he shows up, and he goes, hey, I'm going to work on this elevator. And he goes, oh, let me access the elevator with my elevator key. And he does. And he goes, hey, hold this for a second. And you go, okay. And then a yeah. cop walks up and goes, you're going to jail. You boned. Obviously, that doesn't you happen very often. You have to go often. to court, though, right? You'd yeah. at least have you got to go. go that's, that's the beauty I mean, of the bureaucracy. Not that I would ever, but it is pretty convenient to put the elevator in, in, in independent when yes, of course it people is. use it. <laughs> what does that mean? It just disregards everybody else's uh, uh, yep. cl- clicks? Oh, Whatever hell. floor you're on, it's on. It's your elevator. It's your, like it's your world, what man. We're just living it. You're Fuck moosing man. an entire building. I was gonna so you're just elevator... muttering, <laughs> muttering at every floor like moose. Elevator moosed. maintenance moosed. is a really <laughs> moosey industry. That's very nice. I'll, I'll tell you what. They get paid so much. Oh, yeah. Of course. You got you to spend all that money on all that musk fragrance. You're probably... You're That's probably, right. And a lot of food. You got to you know, to get all those the... To get all those bitches. Yeah. <laughs> Am I right? It's, a, it's an expensive <laughs> lifestyle. So, yes, it makes sense that they would get paid. Be, yeah. Hey, do you guys know anybody that They were one of the like first the... people I, try, I, I applied to. And um, it's like they start you off at like $48 an hour. Jeez. Wow. You got to work Jesus. your way up to that. And you get you're, not that quite, you're not that much of a moose yet. Whew. <sighs> <sighs> No, you're not deer right now. Yeah, you're deer. They were like, oh, you need to take an aptitude test. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to take a fucking test. The guys that do the crane loading and unloading at the shipping docks, right? The ones that pick up the Connex boxes. I heard they mm-hmm. get paid a shit ton. Oh, God, yeah. No. Oh, Although, man. what are they, longshoremen or operating engineers? <laughs> oh, they're long, daddy Oh, You better believe it. They're making that much cash. Girth and then the guys that work on the cell towers, <laughs> I heard, are similar. Oh yeah, I had I actually knew a guy that did. Yeah, it's like it's cell insane. tower. Oh man. Yeah. So you get paid a lot of money. Obviously, oh, they have linemen. Brainwashing engines. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. The, the How about yeah, you, Pat? The that's you, that put up Pat, the gang stalking fucking five G. Yeah, that's you. That's Pat's third book. Please let that 5G? be Pat's third book. <laughs> yeah, five G and gang stalking. Yes, please. Google Look, that for what us. I'm what, what we're trying to say to our audience is drop out of college and go into a trade. Please. Yeah. Do that, or, or you know, what, like at the bird. very least, stay in college, and and also like get into cryptocurrency and code, because you don't need to drop out of college to learn to code. Just code. Do that. Or uh, stay in college and who, get a master's degree in philosophy. Well, I'm gonna do yeah. that because <laughs> it's it's paid for. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing, uh, and I'm gonna You're party out. out you know, what's gonna be really good is when I take that degree. Uh, and I move into the woods and I live on $12 a day like a pilgrim and I write <laughs> books for a living that make me $12.50 a day from all of you people who buy my books. Number When one, you're living under date. a highway bridge with me, you can use That's that right. degree for heat. <laughs> what would be funny is... And then we can sell one, one of day, our microphones uh, for, for, for food money for y'all. What I'm thinking <laughs> is one day one. my life is going to be... I'm going to realize that all the time and money I spent investing into my education and my brain was a complete spook and I'm going to get kicked out of my apartment and I'm going to have to take the elevator out. And on the way down, I see you coming in (laughs) and I go, oh, you're still fixing elevators, buddy? And you go, elevators? No, no, no. I'm on the board of this building and I leave and I live under the the highway. And I expedited your eviction. You sure did. You sure did. Yeah. You rent you you uh 
uh, landlord harassed the shit out of me. You turned the heat on during the summer. Yeah, yeah, it was the worst. It was it's really all bad. I wish it, huh, really terrible. So, so Pat, I if we could divert from locks because I'm really interested in your take on. on yeah, have you seen the moon lately? What about the moon? What happened to the moon? Fake. What do you I mean? Locks are cool, but have you really looked at that thing up there? Yeah. You think, what do you, you think that's real? Yeah, and I don't like it. No, no. <laughs> of course but Pat, not. I mean, my, what I think is real is a very small list of things. So that's yeah, it's very few things are actually. It's real. very few things. Yeah, very few um, things are actually real. What a uh, what, bureaucracy! The books in your head. Yeah. Give me some of the. Give me some of the chapters. What's okay. in there? Let's do it. Give us uh, a sneak what's in there? I've been writing out. a little bit about bureaucracy myself. I think it's a, ne- a necessitation of the modern age, and it's it's going to end up destroying uh, us as human beings. Well, what do yeah. you think about it? <laughs> I, I don't have any argument against that, so I'll give you some some of the. You definitely uh, have more experience. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with Pornell's Iron Law of Bureaucracy? No. Yes. Okay, I'll give it yes. to you in short, and I'll paraphrase it. Pornell says, "In every bureaucracy that grows big enough, so basically every bureaucracy, there are yep. two types of people. There is one type of people that does the mission of the bureaucracy, and one type of people oh. that." supports the bureaucracy and in time those two people grow farther and farther apart making the mission more and more difficult to achieve that's basically it hmm. so i fucking okay. loved that and i i don't know if you guys can tell i like writing a lot so yeah. i used to go on deployments sure. i used to write fucking i'd sit i'd sit in our uh, our ready room and i would type and type and type and i'd write so at one point i had some rules for operations i had some rules for leadership um, and these kind of turned into rules of bureaucracy as well. So the rules of how to not be a terrible leader turned into, oh, well, that's just how bureaucracies work. It has nothing to do with you. That's just how the fucking system works. So I got my own list going. Uh, let's see what you guys think about some of these. Okay. Uh, oh, man. Here's right. one of the first ones. <clears throat> one of my Pat's Iron Law bureaucracy. So one of them in no particular order. Proximity to command equals attention from command, both positive and negative. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yep. And yep. I'll give you two yes. an example of each. I was gonna say, so, and this is not just geographical, right? Uh, yeah, sure. It could no. be geographical or otherwise, because okay. we're yeah. in 2020. Yeah. Yep. So if you're, here's a great example of the positive. You have a, a commander or a chief or a sheriff or a CEO, and he has his office in a building, and you're really, really low ranking, but your office for some reason is right next to his, or it's in the same floor, or the same wing. Guess who gets to use the really nice, really clean bathrooms that smell really nice that have the good yeah, toilet right. paper? Sure. The guy yep. that's literally close to the command. Yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, mm-hmm. the guys that are far away in a different office across the city, across the state, or on the far wing of the property, they're the ones that have the kitchen that still fucking have ants crawling around the counter after several years straight, nonstop. Never seen a pest control guy in our lives, right? So proximity to command equals attention to command. The flip side is if you're one of those people, that's a little lower ranking and you're close to your command and your boots happen to be not the most shiny that day command, since you're so close to them and they see you, they can now go, Hey, you're useless. What are you doing? You suck. Shine your fucking boots. You're no good to us. Oh, well that sucks. So I'm close to command and I get a lot of attention from them, both positive mm-hmm. and negative. Yeah. On attention, the flip side, right. you're far away from command and you're doing the job. And they don't give a fuck what your boots look like because they can't fucking see you. So that is a principle of bureaucracy that I've identified and I'm probably going to do a whole chapter on that. I, I'm open I can to, attest to, to that being a 
having been a West Coast sailor, I can attest to that specific example. Beautiful. Do you mind talking more about that where you were, Aaron? I spent I spent most of my most of my years in uh, at my drug unit was spent on Navy ships. That makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, <duh>. I was. <laughs> Is that another iron law of bureaucracy? <laughs> yeah, probably. The drugs are always the drugs are always near the boats. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was a West Coast sailor, meaning I was stationed in San Diego, which mm-hmm. is, you know, not the East Coast, not near Washington, D.C. at all, which is the nexus of military oh, is command. When, oh. Is when it's all on a line. And so, um, yeah, the true. culture of the Navy and the West Coast is a lot more relaxed. Um, it's a lot more just get your job done and go home. And even even the command structure there. Um, instructions for the ships for individual commands are usually a little bit more relaxed than say in Norfolk, Virginia, where the vice admiral of the Navy can walk onto your ship at any point in time at his leisure and just walk around and look at things. Man, I almost had uh, the vice so, admiral of a ship in there walk onto my ship one time when I was sailing by in Norfolk. What and, a thing! Jeez, <laughs> that was we were frightened. We had that some was a crazy time. Yeah, that was there wild. is there is an element of proximity to command, like Pat was saying, um, but the command is, um, as far as upper management goes, it's a lot further down the ladder of you know the executive level than say the vice admiral of the navy. So there is an element to, you know, keeping your boots shined and all that, but it's way less intense than, you know, any somebody stationed in, you know, Norfolk or Washington, D.C. Man, Pat, so, I got to talk. I got to talk to you a lot off air because I got questions for you that the listeners are going to be like, oh, God, are we doing another one of these fucking three hour episodes? So to be, so. To be clear for everybody, <laughs> I now have at least one person who has verified that I'm not full of shit. Thank you, Aaron. No problem. Well, two. Well, two. That's a, that's a good uh, good reference, uh, Aaron from the Fadcast. <laughs> I like yeah. That's his. Wait, street why is cred. that his? Why is that where he goes to reference and not yeah, literally yeah. street cred? Industries. Because I'm living on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even use his actual job. He uses us. Oh lord. Uh, all right. So what's this is uh, my actual job? <laughs> what's uh? What's what do we got now? What's the next one? Uh, I get, you might like this one. This is just so fucking weird. Command is under no obligation to understand simple math, simple physics, or simple economics. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean... <laughs> How about this? So you have yes. a... Let's say you walk into a building yeah. in the front door, and just straight ahead, there's a really long hallway, and at the very end, there's a desk. Okay? Simple, right? Vanilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're the commander of the building, and you walk through the front door, and you walk all the way down to the end and you talk to the soldier at the desk and you go, soldier, don't let anybody through this front door. And he goes, uh, okay, uh, well, let me go to the front door then. And the commander goes, no, you need to stay right here at this desk. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, well, okay, well, let me go lock the front door then. And he goes, no, you're not allowed to lock that door. It has to stay open. And you go, okay. Uh, yeah, you're out of options according to physics. Right, so how the fuck... <laughs> How am I going to... I'm... I'm oh, people... God. All right. There, okay. So other than in the military setting, there are people that are like this? What? Oh, my God. Yes. 
Yeah. Hey, go oh change God. that light bulb from so red to blue. Uh, don't, I don't you think they would realize it was inefficient? That's okay. What? So can I? I'm, I'm going to throw something at you, Pat. So bureaucracy, as I've seen it, is precisely concerned with maximizing efficiency. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh my no, God, I'm going to no. die. This is the that this is the iron law that we're talking intent. about. Yeah, this is the iron law that we're talking about, Bert. Is that that eventually the people who are just there to support the ongoing existence of the bureaucracy essentially take over the organization? Right? Yeah, is that no, right? Pat? I agree. But that's what yeah. I. Yes. No, I agree. Yeah. Right. The bureau. Right. They take it over. No, I agree mm-hmm. with you. I'm, what I'm saying is, so if the bureaucracy is concerned with efficiency, but the it's people not. in it aren't. No, I don't. I don't think it is. Why does it exist? So how I don't. So what is it? Why does it exist? It, well, it, I'll tell you, Bert. It happens because just like economics, it happens because of incentives. So if you're making so much money that you could, you know, throw it away and not, you know, shed a tear over it, you you are right. separated from the people that do that job. If you spend so much time in your office in that nice shiny bathroom, you don't see the shitty bathrooms. If you spend all your time solving problems for people that are your middle management to make them happy. Because who gives a shit about the people at the very bottom that do the mission? If you spend all that time up there, you, you further separate yourself both physically and mentally from the operations at hand. And you are incentivized to make your upper and your middle management happy. And part of that is shitting on the people at the very bottom, regardless of how effective or ineffective it makes them at their mission. So you get to walk around and order to dec- issue decrees and command that people do things. And you get to not have any experience. You get to not have any repercussions for your actions. So all of these incentives, because in, because in a bureaucracy, the bureaucrats and the operators will separate and that divide will, will grow in time. Because of that, uh, it just it turns into fucking garbage. And there's some bureaucracies that still manage to get most of the mission done. But it's 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 almost in spite of. Yeah. And I mean, it's it also just stems from force. I mean, like, the you know, the. Yeah, but a lot, own- but a lot of things stem from force. I, but a lot of things do. But a lot of things are more efficient. So I'm just a little well, tangled on. I guess what we're talking about is efficiency here, because for a corporation, its job is to maximize output and therefore profit and therefore right. So incentives. Well, obviously, it's incentives. Obviously, everybody operates through incentives. Yeah. What I'm, I'm guess I'm wondering is when you say bureaucracy. It's like a thing that if it came, it, how could it ever come into existence if it's if it's such a mess? It be no, and that's that's. I'll, I'll tell you right now, it applies fully to the private sector. Yes. Go on, it, it, here's the here's the tip though. So in the Pornell's Iron Law of bureaucracy, I think that in his original statement of it, he says, as a bureaucracy grows large enough, this becomes a problem, and then it continues to grow worse and worse. Okay, so, so it starts at an ideal of well, what its principles are. So right. if you're, I think it's my personal opinion, I'm going to have to hash it out in my brain a little bit more before I finalize the book. But my personal opinion is in a truly free market, almost none of these bureaucratic laws that I'm writing about will, will exist, or at least not for long. No, they'll, right. They'll the mar- I guess the, the market is yeah. concerned also with efficiency. Uh, well, Everything right. is concerned with maximizing its own hegemony over other things. Right. So the, the one thing that would have to happen is you would have to have consequences. And right. if it's a small enough bureaucracy, you would have to survive. You would have to be efficient. You'd have to make money. Once so you grow that big enough that you have. So is that what a bureaucracy is? Is yeah. a bureaucracy a, a, instead of a free market, which is efficient, well, I guess moving towards freedom and efficiency and, and whatever, production. So instead of that, you're saying bureaucracy is the opposite. It is, it creates security 
when you have less consequences, you do things differently. Right. They're they're when masked they're, from risk and they're masked from competition. So the bureaucracy that, that's, the, pat, that's the key word, Car. Yeah. Is competition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like, like I've always okay, worked. So, yeah, I've so always worked for a small companies. Yeah. And, so the minimization of the free market, competition in the free market, yeah. would then essentially be the same term, right? So let's be. So if I if I walked over across the street and I put up a little cart. And I said, I'm going to sell burgers. I wouldn't exactly be competing with McDonald's because there's a literal yeah. fucking army out there that will murder me if I make enough money selling burgers. Precisely. So right. McDonald's is now, they have a buffer where they have the ability to be a bureaucracy and they can issue these commandments and they can make things more difficult for themselves and not give a shit because they're still going to make money. So they've grown to the point where the people flipping the burgers have nothing to do with the people telling you how to flip burgers. What kind of a, a, a thing would uh, McDonald's, for instance, do in order to stop you from from, from they, doing that, from having your burgers out there? Well, now we're getting philosophical, and I love it. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to do anything because the police will come murder me if I if I am f- selling burgers to people freely Why? without a license, Why? Why without getting oh, okay. approval. Because of the license or yeah. the approval and regular the licenses. And, and this approvals. is re- regular regulatory capture sort sort of things. Like, yeah, I mean, okay, they're so gonna get, they're not, gonna get right. the they're gonna get the health department to come out to you. Right. It's not a true hurdle to entry. Like, well, I can't make money if I don't buy this machine. Well, that would be a hurdle to entry. I have to make enough money, save up enough money to buy the machine to do the thing. That's a. Okay. I think that's a natural hurdle to entry. An unnatural so, okay. hurdle to entry is look, I'm doing this right now. I could do it. I'm making money, and someone comes in yeah. and puts a gun in my face and says, "No, sure. you can't." Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, yes, I, 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 yeah, I agree with you. Fair enough. Yeah, and and this um, you'll see, dude, Bird. You see this all the time. Like I see this in in my industry too, where you'll have you'll have you'll have McDonald's lobbying to make things more difficult. Lobbying, for themselves. right? Yeah. That's another for, one. Be, lobbying. Because because they can handle it because they they have scaled already, and uh, and the little guys can't. So they'll they'll go they'll go to the health department and they'll say, um, yeah, we think that uh, for the safety's sake. You, everybody must be using uh, grills and and uh, smoke hoods to this uh, to yeah, yeah, this right. specification, and of, and sure. then everybody else that can't afford it is just out of the game. Out of the yep. No, okay. So Pat, you used an interesting phrase there. You said would become a bureaucracy. That's what you yeah. used. I don't know if that was what you. So you intended to say that? Okay. So this is now. This is getting really interesting. I love this because oh God, I so think happy. I really want to dig into it. It's, yeah, let's do it. You said a very interesting phrase. You said McDonald's becomes a bureaucracy. Well, they are now. They already are now. Of course, right. Well, they had to become that. Yeah. What? When did they start doing that? What did they do yes. to become oh, that? And did they bumps. hook up? Did they hook up with anything so to gain that power, or did they create yes. it themselves? Here's here. We, so talking about that growth that Pornell, I think, identified, which was once every every bureaucracy big enough, or every bureaucracy as it grows. Um, so when some of these principles that I'm writing about, once once these start to happen, you have become that bureaucracy. You're no longer a small, effective, efficient unit. You've become bureau- bureaucratized. Mm. Let me give you another example. We're getting much closer to it. <laughs> no, I so, like it. So let me give you another example. So let's let's phrase all my principles of bureaucracy with this precept, which would be when this happens, um, you're becoming that bureaucracy. So when policy is written by people that have never have never will never and cannot ever carry out said policy you've become that bureaucracy sure so it's yes, an identifier yes. so if in a small like a small like i print signs right i don't but pretend i print signs right i open up a sign shop i buy the printer 
I buy the materials. I do a test run. I hire somebody. We're doing lots of signs now. Hey, this is how you print the sign. Okay, great. I grow big enough that I have 10 stores and I hire some middle management. And let's say my middle management comes on board. Now they're writing rules and policies and procedures in the middle management. We've grown to a point where I have people on my staff that have never printed a sign. They're never going to print a sign. And if I told them to print a sign, they wouldn't know how to do it. But they're making the rules for people that do it every day. So at that point, you've become that bureaucracy. And you might still make money. That's it. Yep. But as you hit these benchmarks, you're becoming that bureaucracy. Hopefully that helps. Mm -hmm. So now McDonald's has got its own bureaucracy because it's that system. Mm-hmm. And it exists among other systems that look exactly like that. And sometimes McDonald's knocks on one of those systems' doors and says, hey, we got a problem. Can you get those guys with the uniforms to come out here and intimidate this one person? And then that bureaucracy does its thing. So would you say bunch of bureaucracies that interact with one another, work with one another, or one overarching bureaucracy that directs all of them? I don't know exactly, but I, I have no doubt that McDonald's and other huge corporations only exist because of that the benefits of the having the state as their partner. Oh, oh man. This is gets even Without more esoteric now because now we're not talking about the police. We're talking about McDonald's and the police are on the same level. And now there's a thing that justifies both of their existences. But what the hell does that thing? This is what I'm trying to write about is what that thing is. That's what my book has been centered around is I think it's called social order. I don't know, but that's what I've termed it. That thing is what I've been focusing on is how do you get all those little hegemonic structures that use one another, manipulate people through one another. What the hell is the thing that keeps them all together instead of creating their own overarching power source? Anyway, very far off topic, but that was that was great. We need to do an episode, Pat. I think we might need to do a nice little three-hour run-through. I'm not going to lie, Bert. I am turned on by the last thing you just said, that whole, yeah. that whole string. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, we yeah, might just so, have to we might just have to lock down that opinion for now and pick it up later. We, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> yes, let's do and, that. And in fact, as I open up my computer again for more questions about your book, Pat. <laughs> man, what a professional! What a professional car! I make sure that I uh, I deduct I deduct from you know uh, the elf's uh, uh, paycheck, and I give you a little extra. Yeah, give me a little throw, throw me a couple bones for that one. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Uh, let's do it. Let's do a couple more. So sure, whatever you got. The, the axe murderer chapter is really good. You don't have to spoil too much about it, but I'm sure you know what that is. Yeah. Um, uh, great case study. Uh, heart was palpitating at the beginning of it. Really interesting. Uh-oh. And then uh, you did for me, Pat. What really won me over was when I got to that chapter, which is pretty late. But when I got to that chapter, you speaking in the first person. And, and muttering about how inefficient the government is you because like it gave this person a ticket <laughs> when they didn't deserve it. And you display your officer-citizen interaction ideal. It was fantastic. Like, I wish pe- police would approach situations the way you do. You approach the situation and the way that you write it from a perspective of, like, you, you're giving the benefit of the doubt to the person. You're like, I'm sure this guy's having a rough day to begin with. You look at the thing and you go, you're not going to get a ticket for that. Let's be honest. It was very, very interesting. So com- commend you to that. And then the chapter itself was really interesting. Can you talk about some of the themes in it? Yeah, so there's some themes going on. Um, we talked about being having an effective and efficient entry. So again, you get the, these knuckleheads that when I tell them, hey, I could teach you some lockpicking stuff, and they go, I would just ram through the gate. 
No, well, <laughs> really, you're, you're Aaron's you? of the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, not just Aaron. I want it to be known. I'm right next to Aaron. Aaron, we're all we're all piling in like a Scooby Doo cartoon. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I think I probably convince Aaron to do it. <laughs> Yep, Bird's the, Bird's the passenger, and I'm the driver, and I'm putting. Yeah, my I'm like, you hit that thing, buddy. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I'm rummaging. I'm rummaging around the primary and secondary bags for the Man. THC. See, this is bureaucracy, guys. <laughs> we're, we're creating bureaucracy here. This is not efficient. Hey, this is not concerned with efficiency. Um, tell me what you think of this concept in, in terms of bureaucracy. The higher you go in levels of management, the more incentivized you are to be involved in bureaucracy. Yeah, I have something. I have a, I have two, I think, that are very similar to that, 100%. All right. Do you know what I'm saying? Because, like, I remember yes. that as, like, an as, as, as a low-ranking, low-ranking sailor in the Navy, if I got a paper cut, I'd be like, all right, whatever. I'll <laughs> put a Band-Aid on it. But, if I, but as I grew in rank and became more, like, lower-middle management, if I noticed that, the people that I supervised were getting paper cuts. It became more advantageous. I was more incentivized to contribute to a policy on preventing those paper cuts. Just, just to be able to put it on my evaluation and have it and, and have that as my legacy. You know what I mean? Preemptively removing their fingers so they can't get paper cuts on their fingers. You want to hear my principle that closely mirrors that? Yes. So we got a whole chapter that's kind of, that I'm going to write on, it's already in my head, but we'll put it on paper. With each promotion comes more benefits and less accountability. Yeah. Absolutely. You get more pay, you get more perks, you get more benefits, you get more authority, You don't, and you're held accountable or held responsible less. And the camaraderie among your peers increases. Yeah, and your, your yeah, certainly your peer group will change with you as you promote. Mm-hmm. Hmm. My God, I can't. And we're back on it. I'm I love it. it. I'm saving it. I'm saving right. it. No, I'm saving it. I'm in fact, Aaron locked us out, and I'm gonna pick that lock to get us back in. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Look at this. Hold on. Let me just hold on. Let me just. I got it. All right, there we go. We're back in. We're in the bag. Let's keep going. Axe All right, you asked me about people. the axe entry. Murder. That's entry. That's on, yeah. And a paper book that should be page 107. That's later in the book, chapter 9. You asked me about some of the themes in there. So one of the themes is uh the the poor method in which the government set up this security system. Of course it's not Fort Knox. It's a fucking state park or a county park or whatever. Um so it's not Fort Knox, but they didn't really do a great job. So you have a guy that's locked in somewhere and he's trying to get out and I come and I help him out. So there's a number of setups that the government did that were not, you know, the most security related. You had a failure to make announcements, failure to inform. You had a, an attempt to inform at one point, uh, bird. I don't know if you remember, but there's a, there is a sign on the front gate. You might be able to see it in the fo- one of the photos there. And the sign says park closes at dusk. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't drive into the park when the gates are shut. And they're manual iron swing arm gates that you just pull the pin and walk the gate to the side and lock it in. So you can't drive in when the gates are shut because they're shut. So once they open those gates in the morning, that sign now, along with the gate, it's posted on the gate, swings to the side, and it's about hip height. So as you drive into the park, you can no longer see the sign that says park closes at dusk. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so you would only know once the park is closed. So that was one, uh, one theme that I kept running throughout that chapter was, wow, you guys did a shitty job with that. Um, so I went to help the guy. I talk about officer safety a little bit, uh, you know, just being a human. Uh, unfortunately, people do try and ambush you and give you false information. And I have that's one of the things I struggle with on the job. They teach you in the police academy. And I learned from my old man who was a 30-year cop. You never fucking take any call as a normal routine call. You don't act like a ninja and like creep up and sneak up. But you keep your head on a swivel and you pay attention to, to see what's going on. So I approach the guy. We talk to the guy. I throw in a little little voluntarist, anarchist, libertarian, whatever you want to call it. little flair there, which is there throughout the book. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I just act like a human. And I tell the guy, no, that's not right. You're not getting a fucking ticket. And then I, I also started a challenge, which was a race of sorts. So I said, here's one way I can get into this lock. I'm going to do it a different way. We're going to see which one's more fast and more efficient. So there, there's kind of a competition hidden in there as well. And then I also layer on top of that multiple different methods to attack that option, that obstacle. So you can try and figure out the code. You can guess the code. You can go 0001, 0002. You can use your social engineering to try and figure out how that code would be chosen to try and guess what it would be. You could do a bypass, which I explained how to do the technique in that chapter. Um, you could ram the gate. But of course, it would probably be not the most appropriate response. Yeehaw. Or you could just fucking sit there and wait, which is sad that unfortunately it happens every day in this country. A lot of people do that. They go, oh, there's a three-digit code or a four-digit code. Oh, it could be a million possibilities. I'll just sit here and die instead. <laughs> when, if you do some of the math, which I talk about in the book also, mm -hmm. if you do that math real quick or you fucking Google it, how long would it take you to choose a three-digit code to try all the way from 000 to 999? That's only a thousand possibilities. So if you can count the, if you can do one entry every second, that's 60 entries in 60 seconds. So fuck it. We'll round it up. You can do a hundred entries in a minute, roughly. And if there's a thousand, okay, well, a hundred times what is a thousand? Ten. Okay. So roughly 10 minutes. Oh shit. We can break any three digit mechanical lock code. Almost any three digit mechanical lock code in about 10 to 15 minutes. Oh my God, look at all that time I just saved. Now, what if your option is, okay, do I drive to the hardware store 20 minutes away, go in, buy a pair of bolt cutters, get back in my car, drive 20 minutes back, and then break the lock? Or do I spend a maximum of 15 minutes, usually it's closer to about five or six minutes, a maximum of 15 minutes going 001? Nope, that's not it. 002. Nope, that's not it. Which would the brute force method. Which would absolutely be faster than spending 20 minutes in the car, buying a pair of bolt cutters, mm -hmm. spending 20 minutes on the way back. So that's a that's a it's a in it's a not it's a non-physical tool that I give all my students. So making that decision on how to use your resources, one of which is time. Yeah. Sorry, I, I rambled. Think, I think if excited. they were I think if they weren't won over by by that, they they, they should be now. Buy the book. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Please. <laughs> Buy the damn book. It's really good. And this is me. And he just did a bunch of math. And you know how I feel about math. It's not real. And it, did you read that chapter, Bert? I could. I did. I looked at it. I could you tell you that. It? No, I didn't skim. I certainly okay. looked at it to make sure that the numbers looked consistent. And they appeared to. They certainly appeared to look consistent. Um, consistent if fake. Yeah, well, certainly both can be true, as we've seen in many ways before. Such many as, such uh, cases. Many such cases. Love, the president and time 
Um, so Pat, let me ask you a question that isn't really well defined in my list of questions, but I think I still want to know some thoughts on it. What's up? The legal issues of lock picking. Yeah. That has a question mark at the end of it. Tell me something about those things. Just something? Yeah, anything. I'll read you the quote that I put in. Did you like that quote? Oh, yeah. That yeah, please read the quote. Let me find yeah. it. Legal versus moral. Yes. Uh, that's chapter 15. Actions can Indeed. be both, either, or neither. Let's flip to that page there. A lot of people on Twitter should recognize that. <laughs> Do the neither, please. <laughs> All right, I'll give you a little uh, uh, example here. Legal and moral. You wake up, you take a walk around your neighborhood. I don't think anyone... Well, actually, shit. In 2020, that's not necessarily the case anymore. <laughs> oh, it's already Damn. Well, this oh, book that's is... The, that's the hot alarm. <laughs> that's, this is the, a, uh... that's the hot alarm. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, maybe we'll do another four-hour episode on that incident. (laughs) All right. Well, we got illegal and immoral. You wake up and you beat the shit out of your neighbor for no reason. Mm, Chasing them down down the street, perhaps? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, keep going. Legal and immoral. Hashtag Jews. Hashtag concentration camp. Hashtag slavery in the early U.S., right? Yeah, right. Totally legal to be a slave catcher. And to go out and catch them slaves that done that done escaped, yep, totally legal, largely immoral. Uh, let's talk about illi- illegal but moral. Largely immoral <laughs> and boring. Not, I would say not moral, very boring, very disrespectful, very boring, mostly boring. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, I've never heard yours. Yours is pretty good. <laughs> go I ahead, can't Pat. do it. it Ill- no, oh I, no! Yeah, I was waiting not, for Aaron. I, I was no. I was thought you were gonna. I thought you were gearing up to do it. <laughs> no, I, I'm not good with impressions. That's not my strong. Fair point. enough. What, what, what do you think Trump would describe your book as? Before we continue, would he describe it as huge, tremendous? What would you want Donald Trump to describe your book I, as? The first thing that came to my head was China. China. <laughs> so that means he wouldn't like. There's your book. no There's better book of China about lock picking <laughs> no than the one described. Should I call no you Don or book. Donald? Thank you, Don. <laughs> You'd call him Don. He would like you to call him Don, I think. <laughs> <laughs> call me Don, um, baby. Don, ba- so what would be illegal and moral, like maybe calling him Don? <laughs> well, Don, since you asked, uh, setting up a small food cart near a homeless camp and providing free meals to people in the U.S. Very good. Largely good illegal behavior. in many U.S. cities. Mm, of course. But depending on how you feel about it, completely moral. You're a human. You choose to give another human a free meal. Nothing wrong with that. Well, except legally. And, uh, Nothing wrong morally, but legally. What about seizing the means of production from capitalist <laughs> that, would be, that would be illegal and in some cases moral and in some cases very unmoral. <laughs> Depending on the, the year and the location, could be legal. Exactly. Yes. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. Legal legalities, perhaps. One could consider a spook. Not real, perhaps. Uh, what about uh, illegal... And immoral, Pat. What's give us a good? Uh, I did. Illegal yeah, you wake and... up and you beat the shit out of somebody yeah. for no reason. Oh, that's a okay. Fine, fair enough. I thought you were gonna say like I don't know. You like tie. You put a potato in your neighbor's car. I don't know. You collect Something... rainwater oh, and then you and drown all of your eight kids in the bathtub with it. Boom! Jeez. There you go. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. What if your God told you to do that? Well, I mean, see, mm, now here's the interesting nuance. thing: is to me morality is specifically a thing 
that is within religion and exclusive to religion of any sense. You create your own ethics and morality. They're two separate concepts, but they both arise from some sort of religious means. So to me, when you say that, I go, well, yeah, then it would be completely moral and completely right for you to do that. Doesn't mean I'm going to mm. let you do it. I may shoot you to death if you try and kill me, no matter what your God I think says. in these uh, unfortunately secular times, it's more of a cultural thing. But is well, there really cu- a yeah, difference well, between culture and religion? No, I no, I get, of course, right. But yeah, when I, you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. Yeah. Your ethical rule set, your moral rule set at this point is created by your ancestors, you know, not by anything, you know, that came from anywhere. So yeah. I, what do you think, Pat? Oh, fuck. I don't know. If, 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 if your God tells you shoot bird in the head, you, first of all, you know, you have to. And you're going to, because if you really believe your God says that, you just got to do it. You just have to. This is the Abraham story, right? Is if you really believe it, you do it. And you don't do it until something convinces you to stop. That's that's the problem with, I'm putting my glasses on. That's the problem with morality. But (laughs) Pat, I mean, when you speak about morality in the book, you're obviously... (laughs) What if the moon... Sure. What if the moon was made of cheese? (laughs) (laughs) Oh fuck! Man, would, you <laughs> would you eat it? Would you eat it? Well, would you? <laughs> fuck! That is so good. Hell, Man. I anyway, know I would. Thanks for, thanks for pivoting would. me off of the morality discussion, Car Camper. But, but yeah, that yeah, is true. unfortunately the simple fact of the matter. Is yeah, morality when you get down to it is in the eye of he who hears his God tell him. Um, so that's that's how it goes. Is that, a, uh, well, is that a good place to close it up? <laughs> it might be, but I have a few more questions for our 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 our, our well, Pat over here. Well, Bird, thanks for uh, kind of backing me into a corner and forcing me to out myself. Uh, but I am not very religious, and by not Most. very, I mean zero. I am quite spiritual, and I'm pretty sure. open to talking to the universe. But I'm not uh, religious in any sense of the word. Sure, I, so will, I don't really I would know hope how that to... you use your logic and your principles to go. No, I'm not going to shoot somebody to death because yeah. I hear somebody tell me to. I but think at, therefore yeah. I am. Yeah, cogito ergo sum. So, uh, with all that said, Pat, uh, what is uh, the next step for prospective lock pickers? Uh, where do they go after they read the book, and what do they do when they get there? Go over to the website uncensoredtactical.com. Uh, the podcast is really where it's at. I have a YouTube channel. It, it was I did, a lot of my videos were very early on. They weren't framed in the best uh, in the best framing format. So a lot of it's just, hey, here's a technique. I would like to explain things in a lot more depth, but I don't I don't think that would work out great. Having a 20 minute discussion and then showing someone a technique. So I'm going to have to figure mm-hmm. out how to do that a little better because uh, it's it's important to not just go, hey, here's the thing. Good luck. Because it's it's not really my it's not my format. It's not my framing. Go over to the website. There's there's some good articles, but most of the content on there is in a podcast format. I also do in-person courses, and I'm doing an online course. I just wrapped up the pilot program for my online lockpicking course, so it's over. I'm going to reformat it and then re-release it again uh, to another course later, probably around winter or early next year. So you can get so, the class on on your website too. You so you teach class. You're you're an, you're yeah. an author. You're a teacher. You're a wow, wild. You're doing a lot. You're doing a whole lot. So this is I the final that, question that I have for you, sir. Is what is the next step for professional lockpicker and now professional author Pat Watson? What what what's the next step? I mean, you alluded to it. You're doing another one, but what else are you doing? To be honest, I'm fucking. I'm spent, man. This took. Done. I'm still working. 
40 hours really? a week at a, at a day oh job and I'm working 20, 30 hours a week on uncensored tactical. And I'm, I've been writing this book for a long damn time. I've been trying to teach courses because I love it. Not to, uh, I mean, to be clear, if I wanted to do this just to rake in money hand over fist, I would have changed my branding and I would have been doing that a long time ago and I would have been self-employed. I do this because it's my fucking passion. I love sharing information about this. I love helping people. So for me, the next step is I'm probably shutting down the podcast and the blog and the training for uh, all of November and December. I just need I need a mental break, man. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Got to get that refresher. Badly. You going on? Uh, you, 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 I. Everything's good. Hopefully, no COVID around you or anything like that. No, uh, no. This this is just good, a, good. a choice to take a fucking mental vacation. Very nice. Very good. Uh, and then when I come back, somewhere? I'm coming back strong. No, probably not. Oh, staycation after staycation. a lockdown. What a beast. Yeah, my that's, man. That's a big move. What a what a how many inches is this? <laughs> It's wow. quite a few. You'll Wowza. have to pick that lock to find out. Man, let me then, just reel uh, this one in. To be honest, I'll probably start the, the pen to paper for the next book in January. The next book meaning bureaucracy or, or another yeah. one? No, that one. Oh, my. You have a third in mind? You don't have to say anything about it. Yes. You have a third in mind? Oh, but my. I'll talk to you about it oh. offline. I think you're really going to like it. Oh, well, it's, that incentivizes to honest, me to hit stop recording very actually quickly. actually a <laughs> secret <laughs> oh man well then fine we'll share a secret with you two off air fine we'll do that share tit for tat um pat uh you satisfied any more plugs why don't you just hammer out every plug again real quick the website's the easiest place uncensoredtactical.com one word no space it's pretty easy all my social media is the same tag it's pretty easy to find um if you are interested in training in person or doing the online course head over to the website and stay tuned there I'm the most active on Instagram. You can find me there. Uh, all my notifications go on my website and on Instagram for sure. Uh, I have a course coming up in October. There's a few seats left in it. It's going to be at a really fucking cool facility. Um, if you want to get in on that, uh, it's a very, I only teach in small classes. I don't like the big conference room setting. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, I'm not exactly a stale bureaucrat. I was going to say, I don't think, I don't picture you doing, let's look at the big picture here. Like, I don't picture you being that guy with the, with right. the 220 slide PowerPoint. Slide one. <laughs> let's yeah. begin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's begin. And you pull the little thing out. <laughs> you point Laser it out. Pointer. Oh boy. Uh, so that, that's it. The book is on Amazon in a, in a digital format. I had a problem with getting the physical copy um, link running on Amazon. So my publisher is working on that right now. So it should mm. be out in a few days. Uh, but you can mm -hmm. also go to uh, lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com, and you search for the title, you'll find it there. The, the, the physical book is there. There you go. Tactical lockpicking, a systemized approach for responding to locked obstacles during emergencies. Thank you so much, Pat. Uh, Car Camp It, how many hands do we have to have on the lock? We got two on the lock. Squaw. Go fuck yourself. <laughs>